I am Amanda Hansen, and welcome to the Women Disrupted podcast. I like to use the word disruption to describe a change that displaces or replaces the status quo. In this podcast, I hope you'll be able to disrupt your thoughts, beliefs, and maybe even your life. I believe that disruption is good, even when it is hard. I will share tidbits of how myself and others have handled disruption, whether we have chosen it or the universe chose it for us. There will be debates on hot topics and stories of women who choose disruption to change their lives and the lives of others. Are you ready for a little disruption? Enjoy the ride. Yeah, because maybe maybe the woman who wants to hide their body at work will never ask for a raise. Maybe if you just radically accept yourself in all of your wonderfulness maybe you will have more confidence to go in your boss's office and be like, I deserve a raise because I'm fabulous, right? Like just, I think those little switches that we can make and how we feel about ourselves can have a bigger impact in other areas of our life. And that I'm good, and I always put this in brackets, enough. Yeah. In today's episode, I wanted to bring on my friend, Heather who is eager to talk about her experiences and to bring awareness to women's struggles with body image and body positivity. For too long, we've been conditioned that in order to be happy or to make a desired change, that we have to change our exterior. And in areas, yes, this can help, but fundamentally, in order to get into the right headspace to do anything you want, you need to focus on your interior first. You need to work on your mindset about yourself before you can make any significant change going forward. This self-reflection is especially hard as women as we've been conditioned to focus on exterior factors. Most importantly, our appearance, how we look, our weight, our skin, our hair color, the wrinkles. And in our discussion today, we give some coping strategies for people who struggle with their weight or how they look and how we talk about why it's important to make what we look like unimportant in how we perceive ourselves and other people. And we also chat about how Western societal standards displayed in the media still instills body standards in people from a young age. And it gives them the idea that success is fundamentally attached to and reliant on being the perfect looking and organized person. We discuss a lot of heavy topics that I think are helpful for women and everyone to think about. We shouldn't have to kill who we are in order to change and meet a standard that we think is required for our success or for our worthiness. And our looks should never have to be a worry that gets in the way of meeting our goals. So today, I hope you enjoy and see all the benefits as much as we did from today's discussion. Hello, everyone. Today, I have my friend Heather, and we are talking about a story while well, sharing her story about how her views of her body image has affected her for as long as she can remember. And so I wanted to share her story because the outcome might surprise you. It's not how to overcome maybe your negative body image of yourself, but it's to know that You might, this might always be a struggle for you and it's not something that you can possibly overcome. It is more about how can we cope and what strategies can we use so that we can learn to still live a happy and fulfilled life knowing that we may always struggle with negative thoughts and views about our body. So Heather, thank you for coming. Heather reached out to me. So we know each other through a business club. <laughs> and we live close to each other. So we're actually here in person. And when she heard about my podcast and kind of what my theme was, she reached out to me to share her story. And I thought it was a very compelling story. And I think a lot of us are going to be able to relate to her story. So thank you, Heather. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. We're both taking turns putting our face in front of the mic. It's kind of fun. (laughs) So, Heather, when you shared your story with me, you mentioned that your struggles with your own body image highly impacted almost every decision you've made in your life. And you, like, highlighted it 
word, like all of these things that you've done, all of the time and the energy and the money you spent on trying to change your body and how that's impacted your life as a whole. So where did that first start for you? Like, when did you first start? When did it become into your awareness that your awareness of your body and that maybe like you shouldn't accept it for what it is or that you first had that feeling that it had to look different or you had to actively control it or change it? So great question. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but I can distinctly remember a moment. I'm three years old. I have this fabulous orange bikini that has this little bamboo ring in the middle for the top. And then I wore it to a uh, pool party. The, the neighbors invited us over for, uh, for a swim. And I remember going over and all the oohs and ahs and all the attention that I got for wearing that bikini made me feel really uncomfortable. Don't know why, but I can distinctly remember the feeling. And then growing up, um, and I don't think this is, uh, this is not about my mother, but this is the context with which I grew up is I can remember her getting ready to go out and her being in tears because she didn't have anything to wear because she hated her body. And so I would be lying on her bed, you know, playing with her jewelry, watching her get ready. And that was the routine all the time. And it would, it would start with, no, I don't want to go or I can't go. And so just having that as a backdrop, but I was also in, in dancing a lot of little girls get into dancing mm -hmm. and the conversation around dancing was about our bodies all the time and not in terms of I wasn't in ballet I was in highland dancing but it was very much around you know what we look like and and my dancing teacher spent an awful lot of time lamenting how her body had changed after she stopped competing and so that was the noise so, and here I was, I looked like an average little girl, like you wouldn't think that this is something that I would be fixated on, but I started to take note. And I even mentioned to you the commercial, so I'm telling my age, but the commercial with Special K and about pinch an inch. And I remember pin being able to pinch an inch. And if you pinch an inch, it's, you're pinching skin. Yeah. But just the anxiety of, oh my land, I can pinch an inch. And I would have been seven, eight. So then when I was 10 years old, we had the opportunity to live in St. Lucia for a year with my, fa my father's work. I wore a t-shirt every day to the beach at 10 because I was so self-conscious about my body. So let's go back to when you were three and everybody was commenting on the bathing suit. So what triggered that story, what triggered for me was it something that I try and talk about and I'm more aware and I never been aware of this before is to just stop commenting on people's bodies, stop complimenting them on it, stop commenting on their appearance and reinforcing it. I think, you know, this, some people might be saying, might be thinking, well, that's being oversensitive, but what it's done is it makes women feel really uncomfortable. And if you really want to compliment somebody, find something else to compliment them on, whether it's an achievement or their personality or something that they've done. Um, and I think, you know, we need to stop commenting on women's bodies once they've had children and they either have lost or not lost the weight, whether we shouldn't compliment them and say, oh, you look like you didn't even have a child. Like we're praising the fact that their body, you know, doesn't look like it's had a baby. Like <laughs> it's just, and so we've, we've spent so much time focusing on that. And so one thing I try and do with my daughter is now that I'm aware is when she comes to me and says, do you think I look pretty mom? And so I turn it around and I say, how do you feel? Mm. And so she's like, I feel pretty. Then I'm like, then that's all that matters. So I'm trying to stop complimenting her or putting any kind of emphasis on her appearance in hopes that it will combat the conditioning that she is going to have growing up. And similarly, when you see little girls, it's so easy for us mm -hmm. to say, oh, aren't you pretty? Mm -hmm. So the question that I'll always lead with is, what are you reading? Tell me about your book. Tell me about what you're doing. And I ask them questions about their lives rather than focus on what they look like. Because I know that that just reinforces the 
or talking about you know how pretty you are just continues to reinforce that being what we're telling them matters when it's not all about that yeah and I I can relate to you so I think I was probably four so I I've told this story before um not here on the podcast but I have a large brown birthmark like right on my inner thigh and the first time I think, you know, I was around other kids in bathing suits, I noticed that not everybody else has that. So it was like, okay, this marks me as different. And I felt instant shame. Nobody taught me to be shameful. Like, I really don't think I was conditioned at this point at being this age. My mom never made me feel shameful. If anything, she tried to combat my shame, but I always felt like I had to hide it because I recognize that it's different. And I remember my daughter, she lost a fingernail and she was shameful of that and embarrassed by it and didn't want to go to school or she wanted a bandaid to cover it up because she knew she looked different. So there's something I think, I don't know if it's like, like an instinct or something biological in us that we look around us and if we don't see blatant differences and we see it in ourselves, we feel like we need to hide it. I don't know what that is or where that comes from. Well, you've just made me think of something else. So I've had Bell's palsy, which is facial paralysis. I've actually had it on both sides of my face, which is, I bought a lottery ticket the second time I got it because it's so freaky that it happened. But it's interesting. The second time I had it, I was, I had already been feeling quite depressed and shame about my body, etc. But because I got something that I couldn't control, I did not feel shame going out in public. Hmm. But because I can control what my body looks like hmm. in that my means- mind, that I think I can control what my body looks like, I carry the shame. Like you, sh- you know, you have control over what you look like. Therefore, it's your fault that you look like this, whatever this is. But with Bell's palsy it's a virus. So I didn't have the shame that my face looked droopy or anything. It didn't, I was not embarrassed to go out in public about that. And looking back and seeing the contrast around my approach, because for me, my body is, it's something you, you can control. And if I can't control it, what does that say about me? Yeah, that's a good point. So there's so many industries and businesses out there who profit off of teaching us that we can control how we look. And if we can't, we can pay them money to put Botox in our face, to change the shape of our nose, to cover scars, to build a beautiful body by getting toned. Like we're, we're just inundated by all of these industry who benefits from us thinking that we're constantly something that needs to be fixed and that there's this perfect version of what a woman looks like and we all have to strive for it and feel embarrassment or shame if we don't achieve whatever this concept of a beautiful, perfect body is. And so it's a lot of unpacking and unraveling to really identify like what is it your what is your version of beauty versus the version of beauty that the world has told you to strive for and that's a lot of unlearning and it's my work and and I think with your story is that you know from I think for all of us like it's always a journey it's something we're always going to be aware of there's times that it's not in my awareness I don't think about my body I don't care what it looks like at all and then there's times that I do <laughs> and it's it's an up and down journey. Well, I think you've all, you've also touched on a really important point. Where did this come from? Where does this desire to look a certain way come from? So we know it's rooted in patriarchy. We know it's rooted in white supremacy. We know it's rooted in all of that, but it doesn't make it any easier on a day-to-day basis. It just, it just is what it, recognizing that's where it's about. And I, and I feel a tremendous amount of um, it, uh, uh, there's almost guilt and shame that this is something that I even deal with. Mm. Like you've got so much that this is your problem. And you're like, I'm a smart, educated woman. Right. And, and <clears throat> what I love about you is that you are, that you are self-aware. <laughs> so you recognize like, I sh- like not should, cause I don't like the word should, but it's like, I don't have to believe and think these things mm-hmm. if I don't want to, but they are still there. They're so ingrained so how can I combat it in a way so I can still freaking feel happy and accept myself the way I am? So when, what, like, can you, so I know you told the story of wanting to hide your body mm-hmm. under clothes. 
can you think of maybe like the first time you actively made a decision to like change your life or do something like purposely other than like hiding that was ingrained in trying to change your body? Absolutely. I can, I have a whole sequence and, and share it there. It's pretty funny actually when you look back at it, but my first summer job after university was working as a greenskeeper. I was so excited that I was going to be able to be walking all day long because it, it was going to mean I could look better. It had nothing to do with the job. So a lot of the activities that I took up, so third year university, I went away to France and I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to focus on getting more fit. I even had a little uh, number that I had on my wall about how much I wanted to weigh. And I was like, when I come back, I'll weigh this. And won't that be a fabulous reveal when I come back? And, I, and I, when I say this, I was an average looking person already. So I didn't have any work that I should be doing. So I have a whole series of things that I've done where I think if I, it's very if then, if I do this, then I will lose weight. If I go to France, then I will lose weight. If I, at the end of fourth year university, go out to Vancouver, that'll be another time that I can start again and, you know, try new habit, build new habits. And of course I fail miserably because that's not how it works. Um, I, I even have a story where I was feeling out of control in my life in Toronto and I was like, mm. I booked a trip, you're gonna laugh, I uh, went to Africa for three months and went camping. It wasn't to go to Africa to go camping. It was to create a place where I had all the time in the world to work on my body. Wow. And the more I would fixate on it, the worse it would become. So I realized after, I think it was probably after Africa, and I have a whole bunch of series of these things where I would try, if I just change my environment, it would be different. Right. That's really it's, what I was looking doing. outward. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what we've been conditioned to believe. Well, you just, you need to come to the gym and get toned up and do all these things. You need mm -hmm. to restrict all this eating to feel better when the work has to happen internal. It has that we have to change our motivations and our beliefs first before we're going to change any of our behaviors. So I was in that so finally, after, you know, I come back from Africa and all these other things where I've been trying, you know, if I just change my scenery, I'll be able to change my habits. But then I fell into the trap. If I just work harder where I am, I'll be able to change my habits. I bought a Bowflex. I don't think I ever used it. I bought, you know, like the late night whatever videos to buy. I bought memberships to gyms that I never went to. And I would fixate so much on what I would eat and nothing changed. But what did cost me, so it cost me financially, all these things that I was spending money on. And I mean, I even went to a, and these, these are all in my 20s, I even went to a, a plastic surgeon to inquire about um, pla uh, liposuction. And again, I, I, I looked, like I can look at myself and look, wow, there was nothing wrong with you. And I paid my $100 and he had a lot of plans for me. But I just think of the financial cost of how much I've spent in this space. But what really saddens me is how much energy I've expended focusing on all of these things and what it has cost me socially. So I didn't go out. I would, I, if I didn't feel good about myself, I wouldn't go out. I wouldn't date. Um, how I missed out on so many activities, but then also from the energy I was spending focused on myself and the navel gazing that goes with this. Think of all the other things that I could have been doing to change the world. And not that I can change the world, but what I could have been doing with my energy. Mm -hmm. And that's actually probably saddens me the most. Right. Because money, money comes and goes. Yeah. Time, it goes. Yeah. And, and just the, the intellectual... Energy, energy, and 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 passion, and all of that was so much spent on, you know, what I was gonna, how I was gonna show up, and how people were gonna judge me. And I've never, and my friends don't don't judge me or make comments. Like I don't actually have, I don't have parents who comment on my weight. I don't have friends who. It is completely internalized. 
where this comes from. Yeah. But I'm so saddened by um, what I could have been doing with that energy, yeah. where I could have been professional, where I could have been. I could, I, I'm not a mother, and I, I know that I missed out on dating during prime years because I was so self-conscious of my body. Yeah, that really, that helped me in my journey, that realization of, okay, so I had this birthmark. Because I remember as a kid, I was thinking, as soon as I'm an adult, I'm paying to get this removed. I never did. And it wasn't until I went on my own, like aware of my own negative body image and, you know, what, what I was doing in my own life to prevent myself from fully accepting myself. And so I still wanted to cover my birthmark. And I finally had to make the decision, okay, and the awareness of... Amanda, all of this extra time and energy you're putting into hiding it and even just thinking about this birthmark is I'm allowing negative thoughts and energy to be in my space. And I was like, I made that conscious thought, like, I don't want that. So I'm going to stop doing that. Like, I do not hide my birth. Like, there were still times when I finally fully accepted it and I showed it without hiding it. I still would have like the thoughts of, oh, Amanda, you should. I don't have those at all. Oh, well, that's not true. It might, like a small thought might pop in, but I can easily just like dismiss it because I've, I've already identified as a woman who will show up fully of whatever her body looks like, no matter what, no matter what it looks like, how jiggly it is. I will always put myself in a bathing suit and show myself without. So I've identified as that woman. So that always is my forefront. Every time I want to hide or think of, Shameful thought. Well, so you're a very confident woman. People would um, recognize me as somebody who's very confident. And I know that they, people are genuinely shocked to know this level of insecurity that I have. Because I still will show up now. Um, I, like I'll wear, I wear a bikini and I hate it. Mm. I feel uncomfortable. But I own it because I, I don't I don't want to um, I don't want to play small, mm-hmm. and I try and do a bunch. I call it mental gymnastics. You know, like I've I've got really nice breasts. I've got some pretty good legs, and you know, just that's what you're looking at. And and you know, and I have a lot to say, mm-hmm. so I can convince myself of that. But even the effort to do all of that yeah. doesn't mean it means I'm not often that present when I am right. there. Yeah. So it's, it's exhausting. It's frustrating. And it's as recent as, so I'm 46. So it's as recent as last year, I left a senior executive position for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons was I feel out of control in my life and out of control for me definition is I'm not moving my body. I don't feel like I have control of what I'm putting in my mouth, etc. that if I leave, I'll be able to control my day again. So then there's this massive disappointment in my life that it doesn't happen when I leave my life instead of going, no, take the steps where you are right now. How do you do it where you are right now? But I continue to have this pattern of avoidance, of running away to try and make me better to fix myself and it's really around how to feel in control so it could have been other things that were out of control but my go-to thing is trying to control my my eating and I'm not and it sounds like like I I'm not you know I I don't I'm not binging or anything like that but there's a feeling of control that um that I really that I really need and so I'm working through that. But I know that, I also know that I have a niece who's 17 years old who is, was the lead in her musical, which is, and she's a super talented singer and actor, and she wouldn't share the photos of her on stage because she was so self-conscious of what she looked like. And so that's why I'm talking about this, mm-hmm. because I don't want, mm-hmm. at 17, it's, I can help you at 17, at 47, I'm just now coping. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want people just to have to cope. Can you, when did it become first in your awareness and acknowledgement that everything is motivated about changing my body or controlling my body and that maybe this 
isn't how I want to live or a recognition that maybe there's something wrong with this thought process. Did you always, were you aware that maybe this isn't how you wanted to live or think or, and did you just ignore it or did like something happen that it just kind of came into your awareness and be like, oh, I don't have to actually live and feel and believe these things. There is another way. First of all, I don't actually know if I'm there yet. Okay. That's the first part. Right. I cognitively know it, but internally I don't know if I'm there. The realization was on the highway between your house and my house, not today, but just one day, not that long ago, I went, oh my God, all the decisions I've ever made have been around what can I do to control my body? And I, it just, it hit me. And it was so sad because I realized what a waste Mm. And all the, and, and what is, <laughs> and then the judgment lens comes in and go, well, that's stupid and that's silly and all those other things. But if, I mean, I would have been 46 years old, like it wasn't mm. that long ago. So I'm now in this space where I'm trying to be like, okay, if that, 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 that's my why, that's my why that's fucked up. Right. So I'm trying to unpack what that's about, but I also am trying to do some mental gymnastics around I want to instead of what I want to look like it's how I want to feel exactly what you're talking about with your daughter so I was doing some vision board workshops for people and I was demonstrating I had cut out a picture of somebody who looked really fit who had like the abs and everything but it was triggering for me it made me anxious Mm -hmm. in fact I so I cut somebody else else out and it was a picture of them doing a plank it was just a regular person doing a plank but I wanted to feel strong because I have lower back pain. If I can work on my core, I can Mm -hmm. work on my back. So it was a different way of, it was where I wanted to feel and aspire. And even the images that I surround myself were mattered to me about what it was going to prompt me to do. But going (sighs) back to feelings, like that's, that's the key. How do you want to, and and getting in your body instead of listening to our heads, Mm -hmm. like, how does it feel when I work out? Do I actually feel good? Am I moving it in a way that makes me feel good, but still I'm moving it. I'm, I'm feeling stronger. You know, maybe it's not as laborious when I'm walking up the hill. Like those are good things mm-hmm. to feel like I want my body to survive. I want it to last and I want it to be as healthy as I can possibly do living the life, how I want to live it as long as, as I can. And so that's always a motivation for me, not anything based on, how I look, I think. <laughs> well, and I think the, the other part of that is how I feel and it's less outcome based. Yeah. If I fixate on an outcome mm-hmm. and it could even be for me as silly as some, like I, I signed up to do a half marathon, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I, because I was so outcome focused, I stopped training. Mm-hmm. But before I signed up, I was running a lot. But as mm. soon as I focus on an outcome, yeah. I panic and I, and I don't feel like I'm doing it right. And there's this right. whole mastery that comes mm-hmm. into it. So if I let go of the outcome and focus on, I just want to move my body. I want to eat well, or I want to eat so that it feels good, whatever that definition is yeah. for you. But when I go to that space, I do better. But I also know that when I'm under stress, that I mm-hmm. recognize now that that's where I start to go and that yeah. you want to control things. Yeah. Which is sort of the underlying um, thing for anybody with eating disorders is control. control. So So you mentioned that you went and saw a plastic surgeon. Yes. What made you not go ahead with it? I recognized that, well, one, I was more, (laughs) there's two parts of it. One is shaming myself that, hey, I should be able to control this without having to pay somebody. So there's one backwards thing. Yeah. But two... Well, no, and here's the next backwards thing. I had already noticed a pattern that when I was doing dramatic things to my body, I was actually distorting how my body was naturally evolving. And I recognize now that my body looks probably different than it would if I hadn't been doing dramatic things. Dramatic being, you know, dramatic weight loss or whatever it was I was doing. And in fact, like I, I think I mentioned, I did this program in Toronto. It was Dr. Bernstein and it was you oh, go yeah. into ketosis and you do a you shot. You getting injections. And getting right? injections. And I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this, but it was, people were like, whoa, you're looking good. And So you were being reinforced. Oh, absolutely. A highly toxic way of absolutely. trying to manipulate your body. Yeah. 
and it's you know yeah. it's advertised on the subway but yeah. I so I still didn't I didn't stop myself from a place of, of acceptance or body positivity. Not at all. So, I mean, this is... I'm, I And I would still say I'm still very much in that space. Like, mm-hmm. I still aspire to, have to look a certain way. I mm-hmm. still... It's always there. It is always there. Um, so it's like, a, it's just how do I make it not so loud? Right, which that that to me is a huge lesson for everybody because I don't think body positive posi- po- huh. body positivity is always an end goal. It's either just being aware of it mm-hmm. and how it does influence you and affect you and awareness is key because if you can be aware of it, then you can do something with that information, you know, that those thoughts that you're having. And maybe it's just getting body neutral where it's like, this is just a body whether it's no matter what it looks like, I just, I don't even feel anything about my body. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be something to work on, but I think it's just day by day. And I think, you know, when you hit it on the head where it's like every time you went, you know, goal focused, you lost just that everyday journey and how you feel in the moment. And I, I can relate to that in other areas of my life. Last year it happened to me and it was with my business. I felt like, well, it's my second, you know, my first year of business, it was just, let's just see what happens. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. It was only a year, but then I made it work. And so all of a sudden it's second year and now, oh, now I have to make money. I have to like, I hear all these women making $10,000 a month and I'm like, oh, I'm nowhere near that. So I must be a shitty business owner. And so I I became so focused on the end goal, what the end needs to look like and how to do it right, and, and there is a right and wrong way, and so what I lost was the joy of the journey and being aware of what I've actually accomplished. And so this year, all of my work is, I wanna just freaking enjoy the journey, and so I'm learning to be more present in my life. I don't think about tomorrow. I don't think about five months from now. I can't, because if I do, <laughs> then I lose my presence. I lose feeling good in the moment, and that's, that's the only way that I'm feeling good right now. So good. And I think you, you've you touched on the idea that this pattern that I have, that when I get outcome focused, I have that same pattern in work, in other things that I'm mm-hmm. doing and how destructive or counterproductive it is. So the work for me is what you just described. So <laughs> I'm going to be looking to you more for that because I know... I know that's what matters and I'm so lucky like I have a husband at home who is so I mean he runs every day and I am happy for that but there would have been a point in my life where I wouldn't want to even be around somebody who was successful because it only made me feel shittier right. about myself yeah so using it as a, as somebody to to reach their hand down and pull me up rather than pushing it away and isolating myself from things like that so that's so you sharing your story, just even with your business, is helpful mm-hmm. to exploring what I what comes up for me and that whole and and I am a counseling therapist. We do this work all the time, but we also know the expression the cobbler's kids don't have any shoes. Okay, I never heard that, but I understand. <laughs> do that. you understand, right? That you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. That, you know, as it comes up, how do you examine that, that feeling without judgment and, and accept it and let it wash over you rather than trying to act? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the pieces is that when I come and I start to panic and go, because something could come up, like I was supposed to be in Portugal visiting with all my girlfriends from university. We, and I would have been exceptionally anxious to meet up with them because I see myself as the fat friend. And you, and so you and I talked about this. So you brought up the word mm-hmm. fat and you and I talked about this the other night where you only think that's a bad thing because you think fat is bad. Correct. So we need to change the definition of fat. So fat is only bad if you believe it's bad. Like if somebody was to call me fat, I'm not offended because I don't think fat is bad. I, I mean, like I, I truly don't because I've already changed that definition for myself. And so that is, I like, I want to teach my daughter that as well. Like, and so, you know, we've all gained weight since COVID. <laughs> the COVID-19. Yeah. And, you know, 
love my husband and, and I, I rub his belly and I talk very positively. God, he's going to kill me. But he doesn't, he doesn't listen to this podcast. So it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> and so I rub his belly and I say, you know, there's some fat on your belly and I do it with mine as well. Like not just my husband. And if he's like, well, you're fat shaming me. And I'm like, no, I'm not because I'm just calling it out. It's just fat. I'm not saying it's in a negative way. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not telling you, you need to lose it. Like, so it's all about how we use the term fat and how, you know, if we use it negatively against somebody, then it's, that comes from belief that fat is bad, but it's not. And taking back the word fat, just like I take back the word bossy. I Mm. celebrate that I'm bossy. Yeah. I don't, I want, I am a boss. I lead, I'm a boss. I am the boss. My, my, I had an employee who would call me boss lady. Thank you. I am the boss. I am a boss. But it's that same attitude mm-hmm. about how I would embrace that word mm-hmm. about the other. And it, like I look at it and I can even, what you just, what you said, Amanda, I can feel my own resistance mm-hmm. to that. So I know like it's such a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. And how it can even remove me from even this conversation. Right. And so I, I'm just, so the awareness, I'm not at acceptance no. for sure, but I'll take awareness. That it is the <laughs> I'll first take step. Awareness. It is the yeah. first step. A hundred percent. And if that's the only place that you get to, and I think, I think even though you, it still might be a struggle, awareness, I think I would like to believe I'm not you. So I don't want to put words in your mouth that you might have a little bit of a happier life, just being aware of it. Cause I think you can make small little tweaks along the way instead of letting it control you. And also talking about it, I never shared any of this with anybody, any of my friends. I The gate opened first with my husband, but now I'm just like, now that I have awareness of what it is versus something that I was fighting within myself all the time where I was flawed and broken, Oh, I know what this is. Oh, let me now give it a platform because I also, by sharing it, I think it takes a lot of power out of it, Mm -hmm. diminishes it. Absolutely. So I know that power of that. That's what I would say to clients, like, you know, get it out. So that's, this is all pair, like coming in, talking to you is part of the therapeutic experience for me. Well, and and when you like... You and I like didn't really talk a whole lot. Then all of a sudden you send me this, you're like, I mean, I want to talk about your podcast. And then this huge, <laughs> and I was like, but, and what was crazy, it was like literally the day before I spent, I haven't released any of this content yet, but I spent three pages. Like I just let it pour to me. I wrote three pages on this very topic. And so I was just like, I, you read my mind. Like the universe knew that this, this topic needed to be talked about. And then when we had dinner the other night to realize that your end of the journey, there is no end of the journey. The journey, the journey is, is I'm now aware of it. I recognize this is always going to be a struggle and that's where I'm at. And that's like, right. That, that's Full stop. Be, and that could be good. And that's absolutely good enough. Like that's, that's good enough. That's absolutely. And that's what I want. I just want women to wake up. I just, I want them to wake up and bring it into their awareness that the negative thoughts and the negative things and the things that they've done and felt about themselves regarding their body, it doesn't have to be the way you live. It doesn't have to be the way you think and that know that you have been conditioned to think these things and that there is another way of thinking and you may never get there, but at least bringing it into your awareness so that if you have the opportunity to influence the next generation, you won't be a part of the conditioning for them well said yeah so that's like that's my why that is my why like i don't think i i, I can change <laughs> anything right now but i hope to be a voice to influence other women to become aware of it so that when it comes time to influence the next generation there's a shift and it'll just the, the shift will just keep happening it's an evolution with more, exactly and so it, it has to start somewhere Um, and so we just, we have to keep telling these stories and what's important to me is to call out, like, this is just this deep, so I'm a challenger, I'm an injustice fighter. And I just, I want to call out every company that uses shame marketing to convince women to buy their products or services. Like I just, there's so much wrong. 
but a lot of them they they don't even know they're not even aware that what they're doing is harmful absolutely they they don't they are they don't so i know they're not doing it out of maliciousness I think some are. Some are. Some are, 100%. I mean, Weight Watchers blatantly has admitted that their whole program is so that women are on it for life. So they continue can take their money. Like, And we, we both have started following Jennifer Bravo. And she had posted something about how much Oprah Winfrey was spending mm. time in Weight Watchers. And for me, my comment was she has this huge platform could she be spending it, her equity on something bigger and bolder and more in empowering? Empowering. Then lose them focusing on losing weight. Right. And changing our bodies. But because where I'm seeing happening on this this body positivity, body image, empowering movement, it's an extension of, and I'm very conscious of this as somebody who works technically in the self-help space, um, being a therapist, is the idea that we're broken and we need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of the work that's being sort of given to women around you are broken, you are broken how you feel, you are broken about how you look, you all, you need to get better. It kind of preys into the idea that we all need to be, there's a mastery that we need. You know, men will only apply for a job if they have 60% of the skills and women will wait till they have 100% of the skills till Mm -hmm. they apply. So this mastery thing. So I am aware of how the diet culture is bleeding into the self-help piece because and that's what you know Oprah's up on stage talking about this around how we can do what we need to how we can fix ourselves and I and I just challenge do we need to fix ourselves what's broken well right and I don't believe we are and my philosophy with that is I love learning. And I see it just as growth. I just want to always continue to grow and I always want to learn, but I will never look back and shame myself on where I was before or think that I effed up. Well, I mean, if I make a mistake, like I'm going to make a mistake and I will call myself out on it, but I'm not going to be like, get stuck in that loop of, I should like what we're, what we're seeing now with Black Lives Matter, that movement, what is possibly going to civil war in the US and understanding our own white privilege is like I feel so much anger towards myself for thinking that because I don't have racist thoughts and I don't have racist actions that that is enough where it's not and I just I get you know I don't want to get stuck on what I did before what I did or didn't do before and try and just okay where am I at right now what can I learn right now and grow? And I think that's a, an interesting approach is to making sure we are positioning what we're doing as growth mm-hmm. rather than fixing. Right. And I think, and because the the audience, it can be very much, so I'm thinking of some of my clients, it's just like, and it's, it's, it's no different than me going into the, to the plastic surgeon saying, fix me. And I've had clients come to me and say, fix me. And I'm like, you're not broken. Yeah. And so it's really interesting, and they're women. So it's really interesting, this larger dialogue around that women are broken and how it manifests, whether it manifests in how you feel about your body or how you feel about yourself, about your cognitive ability, Mm -hmm. about your business ability, whatever it is that you feel that you are broken versus I have a quest for knowledge, which is a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about motivation. Yeah. It's it's just the why. It's the why. It's the why. It's the why. And that's that's what I ask women when they, you know, I'm a I'm a style coach and my clients come to me and they're like, okay, Amanda, I want to wear these dresses, but I have to cover my arms. Help me find a dress or a layering piece that doesn't make me feel frumpy while I still try and cover my arms in this beautiful dress. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. I won't. Like I just that's not possible. So instead, how about we just show our arms? And when they bring up how that makes them feel, I just, I get to the why. Like, why do you feel like you have to hide your arms? Where does that come from? And then they have that realization of, oh, oh, actually my reason doesn't make sense. Oh, maybe I should think about maybe something different. Maybe I don't have to hide my arms. And it's just that little shift. I know know it might sound so small, and so small, like minute, but I do feel like that is the gateway, like one of the gateways of women 
having more impact in their own life and having the impact in their families and their communities and the world at large is to just stop hiding, like stop the motivation of shrinking and hiding and making yourself small. That's huge. And it's a catalyst. Mm -hmm. And you say, I like the way you position it as a gateway Mm -hmm. because you're just, you're, you're, you're just cracking it open Mm -hmm. on one thing, but then it, the dam open, the yeah. dam breaks. Cause then you start thinking about, well, what does this mean? I'm thinking about this about my arms, but what, how am I thinking about this the rest of my life? Yeah. Cause maybe, maybe the woman who wants to hide their body at work will never ask for a raise. Maybe if you just radically accept yourself in all of your wonderfulness, maybe you will have more confidence to go in your boss's office and be like, I deserve a raise cause I'm fabulous. Right? Like just, I think those little switches that we can make and how we feel about ourselves can have a bigger impact in other areas of our life. And then I'm good. And I always put this in brackets enough. Yeah. But, and it's funny as you're saying radically accept Amanda, I still like, I can feel Feel the the rain come up. I goes, I can't. It's so fascinating. So I, but I sit here and I witness it and I go, okay, that's uncomfortable. And that's my work. We so. have to. And I had this conversation with somebody else who she's a brown woman. And we're, I, I reached out to her. She's a past client and she's become a friend. And I'm like, how are you doing in all of this? Like, And so she's like, I still feel really uncomfortable. But she's like, I think that's the point. We have to feel uncomfortable. If we're happy, we're not going to change. We only change when we're uncomfortable or we're un- unhappy. So that's why like I'm always changing because I actively seek out the things that make me uncomfortable. I'm an avoider, so <laughs> that frightens okay, me. Okay, so like definitely there's times that I, I can avoid. Like I shared this story with you with my son. I was three months pregnant before I finally took a pregnancy test. So I can avoid 100%, but eventually... I have to face it. Like, and so, yeah. So if you know that you're a avoider, what small actions can you take? And I, and I will lean in, I will (laughs) step into the work and then, and then I just, there's a bit of, there's a part of me that mourns how much energy I use for that work. That's, and that, right. that makes me sad. You, you don't want to have to have to do the work because you could be using that time elsewhere. Yeah, and but, that makes me sad. But, but I think, I think you doing, putting the energy and time into that work, it could end up bleeding into other things for you. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> but that's, and that's, I call it the work. That's my work. Yeah. That's my work. Is there anything else you want to share or say? No, I just really appreciate the opportunity to come here and talk about it. It's therapeutic for me. I hope it's therapeutic, um, catalyst, action type things for other people listening. Um, And if you're judging this as well, contemplate what you're judging and why you're judging. Because I'm certainly somebody when I listen to things like this that I can be like, well, I can rationalize and judge mm-hmm. um, about what other people, how they talk about their bodies. And that's part of my work too. Right. It's, it's the awareness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for being, well, first off, thank you for reaching out to me and sharing <laughs> your story because it's vulnerable, especially when you're a confident woman because you identify as a confident woman. And so when we have these parts of us where we're not feeling caught, like we want to hide that part because mm-hmm. we identify as a confident woman and, and it's, it's can come like feel embarrassing to feel about something that's we, we might think is weak, which I don't think it is. I do not think it's a weakness because here's, here's a piece that I, I also recognized that the women who are celebrated often in business and CEOs, they all have sort of this same physique and body type too. Mm. And they all get up at 5 a.m. and they run on the treadmill for mm. two hours. And they they all have Peloton. And there's this, there's this mm. archetype of boss women that I'm also seeing from a professional standpoint that I also think is really interesting, that I'm starting to recognize the, the conformity across of what a boss looks like. And is that, has that um, been purposely filtered or does it, because people actually believe that you have to work out every day in order to be a successful 
person. Well, I'm just trying to unpack all of that, having worked in Toronto and working with business there and looking at the CEOs and the women. And, and I left Toronto. One of the reasons was I didn't aspire to the professional lives of the women that I saw around me a lot because it just... But we're going down a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> I apologize. No, no. And I, and I always question like, well, what is the definition of success? Right. But it, from title. Title, purely from title. Yeah. So... I don't need to be. I don't need to be a CEO. I don't well, you want, are a CEO. Well, but it's like, that. but in order to be successful, right? I don't need to make a million dollars to be successful. I have my own. I last year I had to rewrite my version of success, mm-hmm. and my version of success is feeling joy in my journey in the day. I had I resisted that. I resisted it, and I got. I had to go in a really dark place, but I've been able to be surrounded by the right women. So I, I brought it into my awareness. And I recognize that this is what I'm. This is my, my struggle, and having to like confront that, and actively change it. So it's been work. Like it did yeah. not happen overnight. This is me talking mm-hmm. on the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's just anyway. We I think we've gone off topic, but <laughs> so thank you. I was saying. <laughs> Thank you for reaching out to me and being vulnerable to, to share your experience and your lessons. And I know this is going to help other women. So thank you. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Heather. I want to thank you for listening to the Women Disrupted podcast. Make sure you check out the show notes for any additional information or links about today's episode or guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, then hit the subscribe button and make sure you get all the latest episodes. Also, if you feel that anyone could benefit from this episode, then please share it or give it a review. The Women Disrupted podcast is sponsored by Simply Stylish Inc. and produced by James Higgins Productions. Stay disrupted, ladies.